Good morning, brothers and sisters. A warm welcome to you all. And if you're a visitor here this morning, it's really wonderful to have you here too. Welcome. We're here to worship our triune God, and it's our prayer that God's name is lifted high, praised and glorified through our worship. May all of us here be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Consistory has the following announcements. The congregation is hereby advised that Classis North will be convened by the Free Reform Church of Southern River on Friday 28th of July, the Lord willing, and the main item on the agenda will be the examination of Brother Dathan Plater. The Consistory's elders will meet, Lord willing, tomorrow evening at 7.45pm. This morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Pott, minister of our sister church in Bunbury, and we welcome him to our pulpit. Before we commence worship, let's join our voices together and sing from hymn 50, and the board says hymn 50 verse 1 and 4. We hope to sing hymn 50 verse 1 and 2. rise to receive the greeting of the Lord. We confess our dependence on the Lord with the words of Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Congregation received God's greeting with the words of 1 Corinthians 1. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together from Psalm 89. This morning we're giving attention to God's word about the anointing of David. And that's also mentioned in the verses we'll sing from Psalm 89 as we give praise to the Lord by singing verses 6, 7, and 8.
as we sang in Psalm 89 in worship, we acclaim the Lord as our King. And as our King, our God has graciously delivered us from our sins and provides us with all our spiritual needs in Christ. And he also gives us his law to teach us his standards for how we should live. We'll now listen to God's commandments where he dresses us with these words. First saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let us now in response to God's law sing from Psalm 51, where we acknowledge that we depend on the renewing work of his spirit to help us, to keep his commandments, and we pray that he not remove his Holy Spirit from us. Psalm 51, verse 4.
Let us call upon the name of our God and King in prayer. Our almighty God and heavenly Father, we draw near before your heavenly throne, acknowledging that you are the only God and you are the King of heaven and earth. And you have the right to be king, for, Father, you have made all things by your powerful word. You have the right to be king because in majesty and splendor you rule and govern all things. You have the right to be king because you have also made each of us at your appointed time. And you have sovereignly directed our lives according to your eternal plan. And you have the right to be king because you also demand that we live according to your standards. And so, Father, we gladly worship you this morning, acknowledging you as the one, the only king, but also doing so joyfully and thankfully as those who know your kingship, as those whom you have called your citizens, your people. Heavenly Father, when we reflect on your divine standards and requirements for human conduct, we can only humble ourselves, acknowledging that the perfect love for you and for our neighbor, which you rightly demand of us, is so often lacking. By your grace, we experience a beginning of obedience, but Lord, it is only a beginning, a small beginning, and that only because of your work. And so, Lord, we pray that you will, as our gracious King, show us your favor, that you will not cast us into the eternal dungeon of hell, which we deserve, in light of our spiritual treachery and sin. But Lord, look upon us in light of what you've promised us through Christ. Lord, you've promised to wash us with his blood, to renew us with his spirit. And so, Lord, we appeal to what he has done for us, for his perfect righteousness and obedience on our behalf, and his perfect suffering and the condemnation he experienced in our place. And so we pray that you will look upon us in him and continue to deal with us in your mercy and compassion. Lord, we want to obey you. And Father, fighting against sin is so often a a real struggle, a struggle in which we often falter and fail. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times we do. But also give us encouragement, Father, Give us your help that by the power of your spirit, that in this spiritual war, we may press on, we may make progress in lives of obedience and sanctification for your glory. And so, Lord, along with David, we pray that you will create in us pure, clean hearts, that you will renew a steadfast spirit in us. That you give us new life in our hearts. That 
you won't remove your spirit from us. But as you have promised, Lord, that the work that you have begun in us by your grace, that you will preserve it and uphold it and make it grow and increase. And so uphold us and continue your work in us so that we may serve you. Use us, Lord, as instruments for the well-being of your kingdom, for the glory of your name and for the benefit of our neighbor. And use your word this morning and this day to encourage us in light of your grace to us. We thank you, Father, that just as you created light in the beginning, so too by your powerful word, you are the one who creates life in our hearts and who helps us in the battle against sin. Use your word also here this morning to accomplish that in our hearts. And stir up our hearts with zeal for your name and your kingdom. Bless all aspects of our worship. As we read your word and as we listen to it proclaimed. That our hearts may fix, be fixed on you as our king. As we sing songs of praise. That they may resound to the glory of you as our king. As we bring our offerings and our gifts of thankfulness, that they too may be directed to your service as our king. Grant that in all aspects of our worship, you would be honored. Be also, Father, with those who are not able to attend in person, those who are struggling with sickness, with other difficulties in their lives, encourage them also this day too. And may so we be encouraged, and may you, our king, be glorified. We humbly pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. As our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we read the verses 1 through 14. First Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, and we read through to verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So far, our reading from God's word. Let us now sing in response and in preparation for the proclamation of God's word from Psalm 18, verse 15. Here we sing... Uh, about the, the confidence that we have in light of the fact that God grants his anointed triumphs.
After the sermon, in response to God's word, we will sing from hymn 50. We have already sung from verse 1 and 2, so after the sermon we'll sing verse 3 and 4. It's slightly different than what's on the board, but verse 3 and 4. The text that we'll be focusing on this morning is from part of verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16. These words, 1 Samuel 16 verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, occasionally it happens when we are reading parts of scripture and we come across some passage that immediately raises questions in our mind because it seems to conflict with something that we believe and are convinced is biblical. And that's also the case with this particular passage. And perhaps even as we were reading these verses, the question may have even come up in your mind. Verse 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And you may have thought to yourself, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that something that we confess in the canons of Dort? Something that God will never do. In the canons of Dort, we confess doctrine about the perseverance of the saints and how the Lord preserves those who are his. And we confess in Article 4 that saints, the elect, they, they can fall into serious sins, atrocious sins, but we confess in Article 6 that God does not completely withdraw his Holy Spirit from his own even in their deplorable fall. God doesn't completely withdraw his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord departed Saul. How's that possible? And similarly, we read about David in verse 13. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. So far, so good. We get that. From that day forward. Wait a minute. What about the day before? What about the week before? The, the year before? Didn't David already have the Holy Spirit? Wasn't he a believer? Didn't he, from his childhood... His youth loved the Lord, and wasn't the Lord working in him? Otherwise, he wouldn't have had faith and trust. Well, to discover the answer to these questions, we need to consider carefully the place and the moment that these events are happening. And we need to connect what verse 14 says about the Spirit of the Lord departing from Saul with what verse 1 says about the Lord rejecting Saul as the king. 
And that's a key idea we need to keep in mind here. The king. Similarly, we need to connect what verse 13 says about the spirit of the Lord coming upon David with what verse 1 says that the Lord is now going to give a king among the sons of Jesse. That means then, this is no ordinary gift of the Spirit, as if David now, for the very first time in his life, has the Spirit working in him and becomes a believer. No. Similarly, it doesn't mean that at this moment Saul makes a change and one moment he's a believer, now he's an unbeliever. No. Rather, to understand the significance of what's happening here, the Spirit as a gift, we need to connect it with the anointing. The anointing of David as the king, and we need to connect the departure of the Spirit from Saul with his rejection as God's anointed king. In this way, we see something of what God is doing in his people to provide for them in the leadership of his flock someone who is going to be equipped with his power to help them battle against sin in their life. And so I proclaim to you God's word using this theme by pouring out his spirit on David. God equips his anointed king for his royal office. And we'll see firstly the meaning for the king and secondly the meaning for the church. To understand the significance of this particular event, we need to ask ourselves what does the Bible teach elsewhere about anointing and being anointed as a king? What was involved? What did it mean? Well, in Old Testament times, the idea of anointing was connected with a more familiar experience in a hot climate. It was common practice to be anointed, sometimes even with oil or other things, as a method of being refreshed or even protected against the sun. But we're not concerned with that here. What's clear here, because God's prophet, Samuel, is a key figure, is that this is not some ordinary, practical anointing. Rather, this is spiritual. It is theological. Hence, God's prophet is the leading figure involved. And if we look in the Old Testament laws, we discover that anointing was closely connected with worship of God in the tabernacle. In fact, in Exodus chapter 30, the Lord gives very specific instructions about the anointing oil. This was not something that you would just go to your back shed and see if you had any oil that you could use. No, there was a very specific formula. 
And you read that formula in Exodus 30, verses 22, verse 23. And there it explains that the anointing oil had to be made as follows. The Lord says to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. So notice very carefully. They can't make this oil however they want. It has to be done exactly as God specifies. God instructs how to make it. In fact, the whole idea of anointing is God's. Furthermore, the Lord also gave instructions about what and who had to be anointed. That passage in Exodus 30 goes on to say, with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be holy. Now what do all of these things have in common? All of them had to do with the worship of the Lord. Tabernacle worship. Right down to the details of the little pots and pans and the forks and the knives. They are included there. Utensils. But not only the material objects involved in worship, also the people. And so Exodus 30 goes on to say, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Aaron and his sons had that role of functioning in tabernacle worship. And so they too had to get anointed. The Lord also gave instructions that if something was not used for tabernacle service, it was not allowed to be anointed. He says there, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. So here it's very clear that this oil is not to get confused with other oils. It's not to be used like other oils. It is something unique connected with God's worship. The Lord, in that way, via anointing, was designating something as linked to his service. And so that's the first implication of anointing, being set for service. But there's a deeper meaning yet. 
because anointing also pointed to a reality that if God sets you aside for service, he is going to equip you for that service. And what is it that sanctifies God's people and enables them to serve him? It's the spirit of God. And so we can say that the anointing oil symbolized the Holy Spirit. And that's why we read elsewhere throughout the Old Testament that when God sets someone aside for his service, that person is equipped to do that service by the Holy Spirit. We read about this equipping of the Spirit in connection with judges. Othniel, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. We read the same of Gideon, we read it about Jephthah, we read it about Samson. Remember Samson, the Bible describes the spirit coming mightily upon him and he tears a lion apart like you would tear apart a young goat, even though he had nothing in his hand. He's equipped by the spirit to do things that people otherwise would not do. We also read about the equipping of the spirit with priests. And so in the light of this background, it should come as no surprise at all that when the Bible tells us about God's king, that we read about anointing and that we read about the spirit. The spirit. Because this anointing is a visible picture that God is setting aside a particular person to be a king. And that's why this is the accompanying description that we read in connection with the anointing of Saul in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And to confirm that this is the significance of this anointing, that same chapter goes on to say this, in later in the chapter, the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them, that's with prophets, and be turned into another man. And you can read about that happening later in 1 Samuel 10. As a very special indication that the Lord would equip Saul, the spirit works in Saul in a very special way after his anointing, and he even prophesies. So what can we conclude from all this? Well, we see that the Lord is busy caring for a people. In this world that is broken and messed up with sin, God doesn't allow sin to just run its course. Instead, God 
chooses a people for himself, whom he gives his laws to teach them how he wants them to live in fighting sin. And as a special gift, he gives them a king to rule over them and to help them in this battle against sin and to help them live by his standards. And that is why one of the jobs of the king was to protect this people. Saul was instructed that he would reign over them and save them from their enemies. In fact, this was one of his first missions. He had to go out. And being anointed as king meant go out, fight Amalek, destroy them. The background to Samuel is in the previous books, particularly the book of Judges. Children, do you know a repeated theme that you find in Judges over and over again? It's this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They don't serve God's law. They don't honor him as the king. And what's the problem? There's no king. And if you read the book of Judges, you see the mess that this causes. Over and over again, there's this repeated cycle of reformation and defamation. And the further you get in Judges, the deeper it gets, the darker it gets. The last few chapters are just horrifying, the kind of things that happen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And what does the Lord do in his grace? He gives his people a king. Oh, they wanted king for the wrong reasons. The God had already included in the provisions of the Mosaic laws, uh, rules about kingship. Because without leadership, without the Lord ruling them, God's people would constantly live like the judges. We would live like the judges. In the days of the judges. Doing what's right in our own eyes. And in a cycle of misery and sin. And so to rescue his people from that. In his grace and his goodness. Also to to rescue us from that. The Lord is at work redeeming. And at this moment. The special gift he gives to do that. Is an office bearer an office bearer of a king. Ultimately in Israel, Israel is a theocracy. And by that we mean that it's a nation which had the Lord as their king. And the earthly king had to reflect that. He had to be a mirror of God's kingship and help them obey the Lord God. And this is why there are so many provisions about the king executing justice and ruling and administering and defending the rights of the poor and the needy. Where life would become crooked and warped, it was the king who would help God's people get back on track and live a life under God's redeeming work. Now the problem is, of course, that the kings were flawed and sinners. And Saul in particular had 
failed to do this. Instead of relying on God, he consulted a witch. Instead of obeying God's specific instructions, he spares some of the Amalekites and the best of their sheep and their oxen and their lamps. In other words, instead of defending God's kingship, the king, the very person appointed to echo and reflect something of that kingship is undermining it. And that's why it's at this moment that the Lord has said he's had enough. And now he gives David as a new king. Saul has failed. How can David possibly carry out this role? Who, as a human being, is sufficient to to do this kind of job in, in mirroring something of God's rule and helping his people fight against sin? Who is capable of doing that? No one in themselves. Not Saul. And not David either. And that's where we see the beauty of the text of this morning. David isn't just given the job of a king. He's anointed. That means God will also give him the Holy Spirit in a special way for his special office to help him carry out this task. He can depend on the Spirit in his office as king. That's the meaning for the king. And that brings us to our second point, the meaning for the church. Because there's even a greater depth of riches here. David is a shadow of the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus, who is from the line of David. And ultimately, the way that the Lord is going to deal with the sin that would devastate God's people in the time of the judges and the sin that we face and that sometimes messes up our lives. The way that the Lord is going to deal with that once and for all is through the great son of David, the Lord Jesus. And that's what this is pointing towards. And this is why it's no coincidence that when the Lord Jesus begins his official public ministry, what happens? Well, we no longer read about an anointing because this anointing is an Old Testament shadow and now it gets replaced with the real thing, what it pictures. Jesus doesn't get anointed with oil. Instead, we read this in Luke chapter 3, in connection with him being baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And what happens next? Well, it's from that point on that he begins his official ministry. So what does that tell us? Again, just like with David, it's an indication that the Lord Jesus is officially 
set aside for his task to care for the church, to rescue them from sin. And so it's from that point on that we see his ministry beginning, we see him preaching, we see him healing, we see him doing his incredible work, fighting even the demons of hell and casting out evil spirits, rescuing people from sin. And it's from that point on that we see the spirit working in a special way, equipping him with his work. This is not something we often think about in connection with the Lord Jesus, but if you look at various passages in Scripture, you find that the Bible mentions it. The letter to the Hebrews says that it's through the eternal spirit that he offered himself. And in Luke, immediately following the baptism of Jesus, we read in chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that's where he gets tempted. Jesus himself, to help God's people understand the nature of his work, when he's in a synagogue and reads from a scroll, he turns to Isaiah. What passage does he read? He finds this passage, Isaiah 61, quoted in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Acts 10, we read, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power. Here in 1 Samuel 16, we are getting a glimpse of what God is doing then and what he will later do in the Lord Jesus, the perfect king. A king who's going to carry out his office without any faults. Unlike all the kings before him, there's no dirt that can be dug up about him. And when you look at his earthly ministry, it's done perfectly with wisdom, with justice, with love. And it's this king who even now continues his work as king. In fact, we confess in Lord's Day 12, which looks like you're giving attention to this afternoon. This is the significance of his title, Christ. Why is he called Christ? That is, anointed. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. And he has been anointed to be our eternal king and to help us, rescue us against our sins and ruling us, as the catechism says, by his word and spirit. But we can carry the lines even further. How does Christ rule us as kings today? One of the ways that our Savior does that is by giving special individuals in his church, or rather individuals in his church, a special task, special offices. The New Testament makes it clear that in the church today there are 
ongoing offices. Ministers, elders, deacons. They may be of different ages. They too may feel at times in themselves incompetent. It can be overwhelming to become an office bearer. But it's important that we as congregation don't just focus on the people, the men who serve, but that we look beyond that. That just like in 1 Samuel 16, we look beyond David, that we need to see Christ. So too in the church today, we need to see our king at work. He is at work. He wants us to obey him and follow his laws, his good ways. And he wants to help us in our fight against sin. He doesn't want us living like the judges, the days of the judges, doing what's right in our own eyes. No, in the church of God, we worship the king. We honor him. We acknowledge his law. We want to live by that. But the problem is, sin gets in the way. And so to help us in that, the Lord gives Office bearers, and that's one of the ways today that he continues his role. Christ is the one who gives you a minister to proclaim his role. Christ is the one who gives you elders who visit you to see how things are going with your walk of life. Christ is the one who gives you deacons to ensure that in the congregation there's love and mercy and his standards of grace are being enjoyed among God's people. And what about from their perspective as office bearers? Well, to be an office bearer is, is, can be terrifying. Who is sufficient to do that kind of work? And that's why it's an encouragement also for office bearers today, just like it was for the king then, that these are tasks you don't do in your own strength. No, the Lord equips by his spirit. In fact, in the, the unique situation of the early church, we read that when office bearers were appointed, there was a laying on of hands, and along with that came a special gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that was a very unique situation. They didn't yet have the entirety of God's word, but it shows something of the principle. When the Lord gives someone a special task in his church, he is going to equip them. And that's congregation how this then also applies to us individually. Because this fight against sin is something that we're part of. You are king. Part of the confession that we make in Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12 says that we, we share in Christ's anointing. See, David shared in Christ's anointing, but you share in Christ's anointing too. And what does that mean for you? Well, it means that you need to fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. Who is sufficient to do that? 
this battle against sin, isn't it so often hard? Don't we so often fail, we falter, we make a mess of things? How can we possibly get out of that cycle of just doing what's right in our own eyes? Well, here we see what Christ does in us. He gives his spirit. Yes, the same spirit who gives faith is the spirit who is at work in us. It's only a small beginning to be That's indeed what our confession says in Lord's Day 44. But it's a beginning. And by the grace of God, the Spirit is at work in the hearts and lives of God's people. We don't have to fight sin in our own strength. We can't. But see, God's goodness, those who belong in body and soul to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, they're also given the Spirit. And He makes them heartily willing and ready from now on to serve him. He does that. What an encouragement, brothers and sisters, for you as you serve him this week in that fight against sin, a fight we so often feel we're losing. God himself will help us. At the same time, congregation, this doesn't mean that we can just do this on autopilot and that we have no responsibility. What happened in the case of King Saul is also a warning. And it reminds us that those who serve Christ and who carry out their task as kings need to consider carefully how they do that. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17 the Lord gave instructions for how the king could do his work well. And what did he have to do? He had to read the law. In fact, it's no coincidence. Even today, our form for ordination in connection with the special office bearers who serve the church also says that to do their work well, the office bearers have to train themselves in the word. That makes sense. Because the word is the voice of the king. The word is a gift of the spirit. The word is what the spirit's going to use. Using the word, that's sharpening our swords. That helps us fight against sin. And so it means that also for us today, to be kings and to to carry out this task, we need to soak ourselves in what the spirit says. Reminding ourselves about the grace of God and reminding ourselves of his wise ways. Brothers and sisters, today again, you have heard the proclamation about your King, our Lord Jesus Christ, and what he is doing in rescuing us from our sins. The people who he rescues, you and me and ourselves, are incapable. But look at his goodness. He doesn't leave us alone. He gives us a task and he is the one who helps us to carry it out. So don't grieve him by open sin and shame. But follow him. Depend on him. Rely on him. And give praise to him, the King of Kings. Amen.
let's now in response sing together the last two verses of hymn 50 so it's slightly different than what's on the board hymn 50 the verses 3 and 4 Let us call on God's name in prayer of thanksgiving and intercession. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Lord, even though you call us as citizens of your kingdom, so often in our hearts there remains rebellion, and disobedience. And Lord, we find ourselves doing and saying and thinking things that we're often ashamed of. And yet, Lord, you don't cast us off. We thank you for the work of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. And Lord, we pray that you will also help us in our fight against sin. Lord, sometimes we can feel entangled. Sometimes we can feel that the task is hopeless. Keep us from giving up. Give us hope. Give us encouragement. 
by your grace, enable us to see also progress in our lives in the battle against sin. Lord, we also thank you for what the Spirit does in our hearts in making us believe a miracle of spiritual resurrection. And we thank you for what the Spirit does in our lives by working fruits of faith. And we also acknowledge with thankfulness, Lord, the many ways in which you are doing this also among your people today and in your church today. We thank you, Father, for the faithfulness that is there in so many ways, for the love for you, the love for your kingdom, the love for your word, the love for your laws and your precepts, the desire to serve you, the love for one another, the love for our families. And Father, in all this, we see your work and we give you praise for it. And we pray, sustain it, continue it, perfect it, increase it. Lord, we thank you that in your care for us, you are also pleased to give us office bearers to care for us. And it's even to rule over us and to reflect something of your good rule. Lord, bless them. And use them as instruments for the well-being of your kingdom and the proclamation of Christ as king. Bless the minister of the congregation, Reverend Poppy. And we pray, Father, that you will endow him with wisdom and with your spirit in the work that you've given him. In preaching and teaching and pastoral care. That through him, your people may hear the voice of the good shepherd. Bless the work of the elders. Give them wisdom to know what to say in the visits that they make to listen, to understand the hearts and lives of your people. Bless the home visits and the other special visits that happen, that there may be good understanding and mutual acceptance and love. And also, Father, give the elders courage and faithfulness when discipline and when admonition is necessary. Help them also to be faithful in that, and that through also these ways, your people may experience your love and your rule. Bless the work of the deacons and ground that through their care and as they motivate the congregation in their love for one another, that so also the fruit of the spirit and love and care may abound and increase. And in that way, we may live among your people, experiencing your comfort and your love. Yes, Father, enable us also to experience the blessings of your kingship already in this life as part of your congregation and as your church. Heavenly Father, we pray continue to provide ministers of the gospel. Bless Brother Dathan Plater as he hopes to prepare for an upcoming classes examination next month. Bless those who are training for the ministry at the Canadian Reformed Seminary. We thank you for the work that happens there and also for the outcome of that work in the preparation of men who are trained in the gospel and desire to proclaim it. We thank you that numerous students could be presented at classes and be declared eligible for call. And Father, we especially pray for one of them, for candidate Tim Sla and his family as they consider the call received for mission work in PNG, along with other calls as well, give wisdom and guide also his path in a way that is pleasing to you. 
Father, we pray also for our federation of churches that by the faithful proclamation of your word, your people may be ruled and cared for by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that today there can be the institution of a new congregation, Cardup Brook, and next week, if it's your will, the institution of a new congregation in Comet Bay. Lord, we thank you for these developments. And we pray for your blessing over these new churches and the office bearers who will lead them and the members within them. Grant that here too you may be praised as the great king. Lord, as your people, we give you praise and honor for all that you give us spiritually and materially as well. We thank you for rain. We thank you that you provide also for things to grow. We thank you for the many material gifts that you give us. We pray, sustain us, Father, both in prosperity as well as in adversity, and help us to trust in your wisdom, in your goodness, in your love, in all circumstances. And so, Father, we pray that you be with each of us as we serve you in unique circumstances, circumstances where we may even have private battles to fight, sins to struggle against, challenges to face, circumstances that are never unknown to you, our God. And so support us and strengthen us and help us to look forward to the day, Father, when sin will be banished completely, when our King will return in splendor and glory and where our service, too, will be perfected forever. Heavenly Father, may that day come soon. We pray it in our Savior's name. Amen. You now have the opportunity to give your gifts of tribute to our Heavenly King. And after we have done so, we will sing as our final song about the gift of the Spirit from hymn 40, the verses 4 and 5.
Receive the blessing of our Heavenly King with the words of 2 Corinthians 13 and depart in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.